And I said, okay, so this is going to be, you know, this is going to be easy. And he says, oh, no, um, this is going to be really hard for me because I don't do well in the heat. I get heat stroke really easy. I'm like, what on earth are you doing here? <laughs> Welcome to the Gotta Run Racing Podcast with your hosts, Norman and Jody. Discover the inspiring stories of the average and not so average runners. And they're off. Welcome back. To another episode of Gotta Run Racing Podcast. Hello, hello. We got a two-parter this time. We're going to cover the Marathon de Sable. Which just happened in Morocco. Yeah, our first part to this podcast is going to be with... Kevin McKinnon. Who is? Kevin was a professional triathlete. And he is since transitioned into becoming a coach, an editor, and an announcer. <laughs> Good. <laughs> he has worked as the communications director of Ironman North America, the editor in chief of Ironman, and the founding editor of Triathlon Magazine Canada. And he was there to cover the race as one of 65 journalists. Cool. Yeah. Can't wait to hear what he has to so say. So, we're going to hear his take on the behind scenes of Marathon des Sables. Right. And in front of the scene <laughs> yes. is Caroline Weeb from Winnipeg, yep. who participated in the race. Yeah, it took her, well, I want to say, 55 hours. 55 hours. So she has a lot to say about her journey through the desert. For six days. Yeah. So Six nights. Yeah. <laughs> so this is going to be a long one. We're going to have two parts. So uh, Take a break time. if you need to. Yeah, take a break and uh, come back to it. Come back to it. And if this is your... First time? Cool. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. You can always do us a flavor and leave a review or just tap that subscribe button there on YouTube. It really does help us out. Yeah. The more that we get shared out there in the land. <laughs> the the more that keeps us keeps us going. The better content we can bring you. So please do us that. And without further ado, here's Kevin. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin McKinnon. Hello, nice to meet you guys. <laughs> so a listener of ours and a friend and a client of yours is the one who suggested that we chat today because she told us that you had just gotten back from Marathon de Saab. Yeah, um, it, uh, I was actually, yeah, that was part of a crazy three-week stint. I was announcing down at Clash Miami, so at, uh, uh, oh, what is it called now? Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, so a triathlon event there, and then uh, traveled over to the Canary Islands, uh, Ironman 70.3 Lanzarote. I was uh, announcing at that race, and then went uh, from there, sort of the world's longest. It took me two days, basically, to travel 125K. So I went from, <laughs> from 125 kilometers off the coast of Morocco, all the way back up to Paris, and then Paris down to... Uh, down, back down to Morocco again to uh, cover the Marathon de Sable. Yeah, the Canaries aren't that far from Morocco, so that is no detour. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I absolutely would have been better to just get in a boat and try and row my way over for well, sure. I was going to say, can't you just swim that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good segue because we know that you were a professional triathlete for a number of years, so we're interested in knowing how you transitioned into becoming not only a coach, but an announcer and a journalist. Yeah, I started. Um, I started coaching. Well, I started coaching tennis way back when. Uh, back oh. when I was fourteen years old, and then got into coaching triathlon. I was never able to make enough money as a pro triathlete. Um, <laughs> way back, back when I was trying to race 80, 85, 86 through ninety three. Most of the time, when you went in to try and talk to a potential sponsor, you had to explain to them what triathlon was so <laughs> when you're doing that you're sort of walking out of that meeting knowing that you're not coming out with any money i was never able to make enough money you know just with the triathlon gig alone so got into coaching um at that point and then my last two years of racing i went to journalism school uh -huh. uh, so i had an english degree uh from queens did the triathlon thing and and coaching thing for a bunch of years and then Went back to uh, journalism school, went to Ryerson, mm. and then I didn't know I was retiring in 93. Uh, I was 
three weeks after my daughter was born. I had just graduated and uh, I was uh, doing a race in Sarnia actually and was about 5k into the run and felt my plantar fascia going and uh, I had a uh, I had an eight minute lead. I sort of had this little debate with myself. I, I kind of said, okay, you can stop and salvage the rest of the year, um, or you can keep going, rip the living daylights out of your plantar fascia and at least call it a season with a win. And uh, I took the latter, kind of knowing that, you know, my daughter had been, was three weeks old at that point. I was doing the no sleep thing. Yeah. I knew I was gonna get busy with journalism stuff. Did that and then had to call uh, the race director, or Graham Fraser, race director of the, um, what was then, what was it then? Teleglobe, Teleglobe Triathlon Series at that point? To say, hey Graham, I, I can't race next week. You know, I've got a, my planner flash is gone. And Graham said, perfect, I needed a race announcer. You can come and announce. <laughs> Later that month, Graham hired me to be the media director for uh, his series, and a couple of years later, became the media director for Ironman Canada, and then um, helped set up Ironman North America, and then started working for Ironman head office in 1999, and uh, worked there, I guess, until 2015. Eventually, I became the editor-in-chief at, uh, at Ironman. And along the way, I had always been, uh, I'd been doing a magazine for uh, what was then OAT, Ontario Association of Triathletes, which is now Triathlon Ontario. Right. And then in 2000 and, must be 2004, because we're into year 17, I helped start uh, Triathlon Magazine Canada. So I'm the founding editor of that magazine and have been doing that, sort of did that along the way with my Ironman stuff. And was always announcing. I um, I always tell people I, I picked a bunch of occupations that pay like I won't use the word, but and uh, so I had to put a put everything together to try and make a living. Right. According to my wife, I'm still not doing, but I'm sort of trying to fake it. Probably because you're having too much fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my kids always say, growing up, people would say, "So what does your dad do?" And they would just say. We got no idea. You know, as far as we can tell, he does twelve. You know, he's got twelve different jobs. But, um, but the one thing they do say is, uh, you know, he he really loves what he does. So, exactly. Did either of your children uh, follow your footsteps into triathlon? So all three of them did as kids. Yeah, they were. Uh, so my daughter was uh, second at Ontario Games uh, when she was back when she was racing, and then. She ended up focusing on running through university, so she uh, she ran for uh, Mac uh, McMaster. She was the captain of the cross country and track team for oh, three or four years, I guess. Then our middle son was also you know top top junior triathlete, and then ended up focusing on cycling. He was on the national cycling team for. I guess almost eight years, uh, won two, two medals at the Pan Am Games, uh, two bronze medals at the Pan Ams, and uh, raced for a pro team for a while over in Europe. And then our youngest uh, ended up being on the national junior uh, swim team and was also on the uh, national development team for triathlon and ended up focusing on swimming and swam for uh, swam at university. So they... Wow. They were all triathletes and all picked one of the sports. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Just get, you got to put them all in one now. Yeah, roll. Well, yeah, they they <laughs> we uh, we were in Lanzarote a few uh, well, I guess quite a few years ago, 2011 or 2012 at Club La Santa, and they they ended up doing a relay, which was kind yes. of fun. So, oh, that must have been yeah. awesome for you to see. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So, yeah, so I want to talk about uh, your stories of all the articles you've written. How do you select what to write about of all the different articles you did? Um, are you, you mean in terms of the Marathon de Sable or, or just? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief. Um, yeah, you know, it's just anything that comes up. Uh, you know, for me, I used to do I used to do a column when I was with Iron Man, Iron Man Life, and I'd do it on Friday afternoons. Uh, David Goodnick, who's uh, a, uh, well, I guess he retired last year from CBC, uh, you know, one of the top CBC journalists for so many years. Um, and he used to teach a course 
uh, whenever I'd see him at races, he would say, I love that column, used it in my class last week. And he said, I always start the class and end the class by saying, it's all about the people, baby. It's all about the people. Um, and that's, you know, that's for me the, the driving thing, you know, that's what's, um, what I enjoy about what I do is just getting out to meet different people and, and interact with people all around the world. And, and you know, when I'm at, at, at events, a lot of times you'll see the same people at the Ironman thing and, they, you know, and they've become old friends. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just so many inspiring stories that you come across. Did you have to apply to be part of the coverage for Marathon to Solve? So they reached out to me last fall and asked if I would be interested in uh, coming in and um, sort of uh, covering the event. I, you know, I said, yeah, sure, would love to. Then it was sort of bizarre. I didn't hear from them for ages. And then I reached out and, and they said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll check with the organizers and see if, they, <laughs> if they're interested in having you. I'm like, huh, okay, I thought, this, I thought I'd already got that sorted out. And uh, yeah, and then they, you know, they sort of asked me what's what stories and coverage I was planning on doing, and yeah, just uh, included me on. So I had a choice of doing two different trips. I um, either what they call the short trip, short media trip, or the long one, which is covering the full event. Mm-hmm. I thought taking the short one, I would have at least two days of racing that I would get to cover, but uh, learned the hard way that uh, I only would get to see one day of, of the actual oh. racing, which was a little bit of a bummer. It was you know, still an amazing experience, but um, yeah, they, they said, yeah, well, you, you fly in Friday and then, and then you fly back Monday night. You know, you'll get in at like 1030 to Paris Monday night. And so I thought, perfect. You know, we'll watch the second day of racing, jump on a plane, fly home. How hard can it be? Well, by the time we got to where we were for the the second bivouac of the of the race so after that first stage to get to the airport where we had to fly out of Corsazad, i guess is what the i don't have no idea how to pronounce it (laughs) the uh it was a five and a half hour drive through the desert we left at 3 a.m on monday morning drove through the desert pitch black the two drivers not a gps in sight uh so like at 345 330 345 they were completely lost we came up to the side to the side of this mountain and then you know stopped and one driver got out and started screaming at the other driver and there was myself and and four other journalists from france in the in the cars kind of going this is not good (laughs) they ended up driving back um, you know, back sort of the way they had came, found this little hut in the middle of the Sahara, banged on this poor guy's door at four in the morning oh, no. and uh, got directions as to where they should be going. And eventually we got out, got to Korsazat, made it, made the flight, uh, made the check-in for the flight by five minutes, did two flights to get to Casablanca, waited six hours in Casablanca, did a four-hour flight back to Paris. And uh, so it was 21 hours of travel before I finally made it back to Paris. So, um, oh my gosh. So next time, if I go back, which I'm hoping that I'll do next year, definitely the lawn trip. It would be much easier <laughs> covering the covering it all for, uh, for eight days than uh, doing that nutty trip on the way back. Now, I understand you were part of a team of about 65 journalists. Just to put that into perspective, how many journalists would be, for, for example, at Kona? Woo. Um, so Ironman World Championship. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the re- sorry, the reason I am struggling with the answer to that is journalists, quote unquote, like the media, it, it, it has really stretched. So you see a lot of people with accreditation at the Ironman World Championship who you know aren't covering anything for a magazine or website or anything like that. They're people's managers, they're uh, people's social media types and and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's probably like 100, 150 people accredited at the, at the Ironman World Championship. Right. But, you know, there's certainly not that many journalists. Um, right. And there was a little bit of that uh, at the Tour de Sable uh, or the Marathon de Sable, sorry. But uh, mostly... 
So there were six of us on this short trip, like those guys all for sure, all with you know pretty major publications, uh, mostly in France. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a couple of guys who were covering stuff. So there were one, two, three, there were probably four or five folks covering for uh, different British publications. Um, And then, so a lot of the people who actually, quote unquote, are there doing coverage um, are people who work for magazines, but are actually doing the race. So, you know, a good friend of mine uh, works for a website. He's done the race eight times. And uh, so he walked into the media room and looked at me and what, he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, he's based in uh, California now. He's actually originally from France, but uh, based in California. Yeah, there's probably, you know, another 15 folks like that who are kind of doing the race. So Interesting. Um, I guess yeah. the the internationalism of the competitors lend itself to the reason why there's so many different people represented from around the world covering it. Yeah, yeah, you know, certainly it was really interesting and, and we noticed this here to, in terms of our coverage with uh, uh, Triathlon Magazine Canada and Canadian Running Magazine, not nearly as big a deal in North America as it is over in France and Europe. Certainly, excuse me, I could not believe just the, the coverage that they do themselves. Uh, they have two uh, two helicopters for the event. One is purely for media, and the other one is uh, a medical one uh, for emergencies. And then, you know, just tons of cameramen around. So big, big television show that they that they put together for the event right. uh, themselves. And so there's there's lots of stuff that they do, you know, doesn't get picked up a whole lot in, in North America. Are you familiar with the UTMB coverage? Because it's pretty <laughs> substantial. Yeah, you know, not not as much, but yeah, it very. I'm, I would imagine very similar uh, in terms of the kind of coverage, and and you see that even here. There's uh, the Canada Man Woman uh, Triathlon, the uh, X Tri event that is held in Lac Megantic. Yeah, they've done the same thing. You know, they they have a big television show that they put together. You know, people kind of saying, yeah, we're we're not getting a whole lot of television stations and people coming and covering this. So we're going to do it all ourselves and and get out there and sell that. So I think that's pretty standard. Yeah. There's a lot of big ultra races in the States now that are live streaming and having fellow runners come in and commentate the event. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that's definitely gaining popularity. And obviously it's a lot easier to do now with YouTube and everybody can get their own camera and (laughs) and look professional. Right. So that, yeah. that's interesting that it's such a, it's been a big deal in France for a long time. This is not something new that's, that they're. Yeah, no, it, it, like, it mind blowing in terms of the, yeah, just the difference. And um, this was, did I get this right? Oh, I can just look right here. The uh, 36th edition of the race. So um, you guys you know, probably know how, how everything started 1984. Uh, Patrick Bauer did his own 350 kilometer jaunt through the Sahara Desert. Uh, I can't remember if it was 12 or 14 days that uh, that he did that all. Had a monstrous backpack. I'm trying to remember how much it was. It was like 35 kilograms or something, but completely self-supported. And uh, he finished that and decided that everyone needed to have that, an opportunity to have that experience. And two years later, managed to start that the first event. So 86 was the was the first one. And um, I believe they had 23 people for that first one. And then it has just steadily grown. And, um, you know, they've had up to 1500, I think is the the uh, largest, um, largest race that they've had. So yeah, you know, just amazing the uh the you know how popular and and all that they have done with it that's crazy you got there on the second day stage race or the second day i i arrived with all the athlete um there's a so bunch of charter uh charter planes out of paris um so we all met um at uh charles de gaulle airport in paris um, or that you know the French, all the French folks who were who were flying in. There were three um, three flights uh, that went out that morning, and then you sort of get off. They tested 
I'm pretty sure they tested everyone. Uh, I, I got tested. You had to have show a, uh, a negative PCR test within 24 hours before, uh, before we could even you know sort of get on the plane to start everything off. And uh, then they put us on buses. Uh, they told me it was going to be an 80-minute 80-minute uh, drive on the bus. It was more like three hours. Uh. Hey guys, if you like what you're hearing so far, then check this out. New for 2022, the Lost Treasure Trail Race. Calling all trail runners to our brand new event, coming to Mansfield, Ontario this May 14th. The Lost Treasure Trail Race features both the 5 and 10K on the beautiful trails at the Mansfield Outdoor Center. As the story goes, the American outlaw Jesse James buried a barrel full of gold coins stolen from a train on his relative's property somewhere in the hills of Malmer. You'll earn your very own coin medal when you cross the finish line. Registration is now open. For more info, go to gotterunracing.com. Now back to Jody and Norm. And we stopped for lunch along the way. It was you know, totally bizarre. Like they just, you know, all of a sudden this, I saw this car sort of wave the bus over and uh, we pulled over to the side and like just looking at the desert and um, everyone sat down and had their lunch. And then we got back on the bus and off we went again um, and then rolled into the uh, first bivouac on the Friday afternoon. So the athletes all then go and set themselves up yeah really cool setup the athletes have their own sort of tents all set up and it's all done in circles and they set the tents up based on countries you know you kind of look at the map and they set everybody up wherever they're going to and then um there are between four and five hundred people support people for the event um uh the journalists and all the support people there's a whole separate uh, like tent city set up for them. So we rolled in, pretty sure the athletes all got to eat. Yeah, they fed all of the athletes on the Friday night and the Saturday morning. And then Saturday, what happens is they go through the, the whole process. They have to uh, get their bag weighed. So it has to weigh between six and a half and 15 kilograms. They have to show all of their food, so they have to um, uh, prove that they've got at least 2,000 calories a day to get them through all of the race. Um, and then there's some medical stuff that they go through as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then they hand over all the rest of their stuff, and then they're on their own. Um, wow. So, they, you know, they head on back to their, their tent, and all the rest of us journalists and the people working on the event um you know kind of get to go and have dinner and do all this fun stuff and you know they 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 had a break i, I can't remember it was around 4 30 and you know they oh it's time for a break now and we're gonna go have a go have a drink and i roll in and they passed me a beer i'm like this isn't so bad <laughs> um, so you know for us it was uh considerably easier than it was for the athletes yeah so we were in uh we were in tents uh, we had a carpet on the ground. You know, they told us to bring our own sleeping mats, uh, but in the end, they ended up uh, providing some mattresses. Um, I didn't get one the first <laughs> first night that I was there, but uh, managed to score one the second night, so that was kind of good. I was one of the only journalists who didn't do the first day of racing. So what they allow the folks, uh, the journalists to do is uh, to do that first stage. So I think it was 30.8 kilometers. Um, And, but if you were doing that, then you had to go and sleep with all of the athletes. I did notice that some of the, uh, some of the folks managed to figure out ways to, they got rocks and managed to close those tents down. Um, (laughs) The Canadians, I don't think were quite as innovative on that front. And the first night, um, that Friday night at about, three in the morning the wind picked up like crazy um, and it went down to about five degrees but it was really cold and uh, so yeah I, I, I really felt for uh, felt for all of the athletes because we had a little bit more cover but not a whole lot like it was it was not a comfortable night um, not that I'm trying to complain compared to what those guys went through uh, <laughs> but yeah I, I really felt for them that first night cool. I can imagine at that point you were probably counting your blessings that you weren't on the long 
a long trip and you knew for now, you know, to plan in advance what to bring. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, it's just so many things that uh, that you learn along the way in terms of, yeah, and I can't imagine how helpful it is once you've experienced it, it to just go and do the race as well. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so many things that I now know to bring or not bring and, and all that kind of stuff. So take us through your first your day of were you out on the course? How did you, how did you experience experience this whole day that you were there? Yeah, so race day um, quite uh, was really uh, was pretty awesome. I was supposed to be in a truck or I, I described it as a Jeep. When I showed pictures to my wife, she's like, that's just like an SUV. What are you talking about? Um, so it was an all wheel drive car. And um, I was supposed to be in one by myself. Uh, but then, you know, race morning, uh, not, a bunch of the a bunch of the cars didn't show up. And so I ended up in with uh, with another journalist. How did it work? Yeah, we you know basically met up with our driver. Um, he didn't speak French very well, so she couldn't really help, and he didn't speak English really well, so I couldn't really help. So um, it was a little bit of uh, back and forth trying to figure out the um, how to how to have that conversation. But we you know sort of got it all uh, organized and um, figured out where we were going to meet him. I had this vision of getting a long shot. From the start, I had a 200-600 millimeter lens with me that uh, I really wanted to get way out there and and get them as they were coming coming up towards me. So kind of negotiated with the driver where I was going to meet him and got out there, um, got the start most of the start shots that I wanted. Um, there was a, a guy who's uh, was doing fundraising who was. Um, dressed up as as Spider Man, who decided he wanted lots of camera time, so he ran with the leaders all the way through that initial start, and we, you know, all of the camera people were like, "Oh, come on, like, you know, get what you get, get the idea." But this is our one chance to get, you know, the shot of these leaders and stuff. A little frustrating on that, but you know, we're able to figure that out, and then we got out on the course. You, know, you just kind of drove along and you know picked different places to uh, to take photos, and then I would say there was I want to say about 15 k in uh, was when we hit the first of the really bad sand stuff, mm. and it was nuts. Um, like just you you think you know how to drive right, and you think you know how to drive through snow. Like oh yeah, Canadians we know how to drive through snow and all this kind of stuff. Watching this guy who was driving us uh, get through this sand, I was like, yeah, there, there's no snow that we have in Ontario that would stop this dude. Um, like just, but even then, he got, he got totally socked in a couple of times. So um, in that first bout of, bout of sand, we um, ended up having to push him out once, uh, then having to try and push out another car. In the end, we couldn't get him out. They ended up having to tow this other guy out, and then uh, when you know he got stuck again, it was it was crazy. Anyway, there were four different vehicles that got completely uh, just totally socked in in the sand. So it was quite the experience just getting through all that. But yeah, just amazing, uh, sort of getting getting the photos, and then you know we realized uh, one of the one of the vehicles that we were trying to get out. They were supposed to try and get to the finish line. Uh, we just re realized at that point, there's no way we're beating the leaders um, to to get everyone out there. So I just resigned myself to getting some cool shots, and and that's what I did. Uh, and then just cruised on into the finish line, got some finish line shots, interviewed uh, the women's winner. Yeah, great story. This is awful that I can't think of her name right now. She was doing her first, basically her first. Uh, series race or, or tour like this Same. she'd done a bunch of 35 and 50k ultras okay. um, and ultra trail events before but had never done anything like this longest she'd ever raced was 50k um, and she was just unbelievable so got to interview her on the first day and um, she ended up just dominating the race so got in sort of edited uh, edited my photos wrote up a couple of stories and uh, yeah, called it called it a day. But I guess I finished probably 
nine or ten at night and then <laughs> uh, tried to get some sleep because uh, we had our 3 a.m. So 2.45, uh, we all set our alarms and uh, everyone woke up and got rolling for our uh, insane trip home. Wow. I guess it's hard because you were really only covering the one day, but did you talk to anybody who had just a crazy story about getting there or what it took? Um, yeah. So there was the, one of the stories and I you know, wrote this up on, on our uh, magazine or on the triathlon magazine, Canada website. And uh, I'm just looking it up now. Um, this guy, Yvon Leroux. Yvon Leroux. Unbelievable. Yeah, there we go. Yvon Leroux. <laughs> that was the funniest interview. Uh, somebody sort of pulled me aside. One of the Canadians pulled me aside and said, he, because I had talked to them all. So um, on the Saturday night, no, the Friday night, when we first all got there, I rolled on over to uh, to the Canadian tent. Um, I just kind of said, hey, I'm with uh, Triathlon Magazine Canada and Canadian Running Magazine. Want to chat with you guys? Like, what on earth are you doing here? Um, and uh, Carolyn yeah, Weeks was, thing. <laughs> and yeah, it was like you know, really cool. Like Carolyn's story was really cool. Uh, I believe she's is Edmonton or Winnipeg or Edmonton. Winnipeg, yeah. Winnipeg. Um, you know, and she had wanted to do it for her fiftieth uh, birthday, and COVID got in the way, and so she ended up fifty-one. So close enough. <laughs> and uh, there was another woman from uh, out east. Uh, I can't think of her name right now. Um, but she was awesome to to chat with away uh, as well. Oh, there, Joanne Terrio. I, I believe I fear Joanne didn't end up finishing, which was uh, which was a little bit of a bummer. But she was awesome. Like she kind of pulled me aside and said, "You need to talk to Yvonne. He like he's just being really modest. This guy has done you know some really crazy races over the years. Went over and talked to him. You know, said, "Hey, Yvonne, would you?" Would you be okay to say, you know, chat for a few minutes? So it turns out this dude, like he had done the Transperinea. I, I think you guys might have might know about this. That's 900 kilometers, uh, 55,000 meters of elevation gain. And so he'd done that race. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is a piece of cake. You get to sleep in, in you know, quote unquote, a tent every night. And, you know, I'm get to hang out with all of these people. When I did the Transperinea, I was just like, you know, you just, you run for three or four days and then you sleep when you just can't keep going anymore. And, and you, you lie down in a field. Like he said, I would just, one night there was a bunch of sheep out there. I thought, yeah, you know what? I'll just sleep here. And I said, okay, so this is going to be, you know, this is going to be easy. And he says, oh no, um, this is going to be really hard for me because I don't do well in the heat. I get heat stroke really easy. I'm like, what on earth are you doing here? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I really wanted to challenge myself to uh, to this event. And I said, okay, well, how did you prepare? And he said, well, I got myself a an industrial heater and I converted a room in my house and I, I put a treadmill in there. And he said, I would get it up to 55 degrees Celsius. And I ran. He said, in January, when I started, I couldn't go longer than 20 minutes. I did 20 minutes and then I pretty much collapsed. And he said, um, three weeks ago, I did four and a half hours wow. on this thing of 55 degrees. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. So Yvonne uh, reached out to me just a few days ago, actually, you know, because his goal had been to try and finish in the top 100. I, I was wrestling with. Oh, should I talk about or write another story about Yvonne? What should I do? Because, you know, I, I can't remember where he finished, but it wasn't it wasn't in the top 100. And he reached out to me and he said, you know, I got into this and realized that the spirit and camaraderie of the event was what was, this was all about. I ended up running the whole thing with one of my friends, had a great time, didn't run into any issues, was the experience of a lifetime. And I thought, oh, that is just awesome. Uh, so that was was pretty uh, pretty cool to see. And then you know, Carolyn, uh, another great story. You know, she really only got into all of this stuff in you know in the last eight years or so. And uh, so I'm sure you had a great chat with her as well. We did, and and it was definitely about the experience for her. She had to pinch herself, I think, every time 
she started the stage she this just, morning. <laughs> she just couldn't believe that she was actually there, which is amazing. <laughs> to put it into perspective, looking at the time that it takes the winners, 18 and a half hours to do the whole thing compared to what the people at the back of the pack are doing it yeah, in. Double time, more than well, No, like triple time. Oh, way, yeah, way more than that. Uh, so my, my friend, um, the friend that I was talking about who's in California, he was like, Kevin, you got to come back next year and do this. And I said, <laughs> come on, uh, you, you know, I've got you know, two new surgeries. Yeah, this is not this is not happening. He said, Kevin, all you need to do is walk faster than a camel and you can do this. <laughs> and it's true, right? Like they have this, you know, the quote unquote sag wagon or, is, are these two camels that go on through. And as long as you can do 3K an hour, you can you can finish the marathon to Sabla, but you've just got to keep walking and, and keep hitting those 20 minute Ks and, and just keep doing that all day. But that long stage must just be brutal, right? Like you've got 30, this year, uh, because it was 86K, you had 35 hours to finish the long stage. But you know, that's still, that's a long haul. Uh, you know, if you're doing 3K an hour, getting through that, it's, you know, you're still banging on 30 hours if you're, if you're doing that 3K an hour. So, so you, fit, you yeah. finish through the night and then you have to start the next day, maybe just to, to do a marathon, to do the marathon the very next day. Yeah. That, that's something. <laughs> it was truly amazing to see the, like the elite folks um, who are doing this. Oh yeah. The first two guys. So Anna Komet, there we go. Was that, was the women's winner. But the, the men's winner, you've got Rashid Al-Murabiti um, and his younger brother, Mohammed. Yeah. Uh, so Mohammed, no, sorry, Rashid won it for the ninth time um, this year. And like these guys, it is f nuts how fast they're going. So they did that first stage, um, I believe it was just over three hours uh, for 30.8K. I have a I, I have a shot, and this isn't even of the leaders. I've got a shot of somebody who's in like twentieth place, and there's one of the vehicles trying to get out of the sand and and shooting sand up close to where this guy is. The Morabiti brothers are long gone; like they're they're moving <laughs> faster than the vehicles seem to uh, at times. Yeah, just frightening how quickly and. You know, at the end of the day, 66 seconds separated the first two. But I can't imagine what uh, dinner, the dinner conversation is like at uh, at that family table. Like, <laughs> you couldn't let me win just once. Like, exactly. you, you can't, like, you have to have, you have to keep winning nine times. You know, Muhammad for a uh, second for the fifth year in a row. Uh, but boy, he, he sure took it to his big brother this year. So I'd love to see those two come and do around the bay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you got to sand in their face. <laughs> well, and I think around the bay this year might just about kill them. Like you know, you're you're, you're looking at a couple of guys who do very well in the heat. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but running in the sand and running in the snow, there are some similarities. But it wasn't snow at around the bay. It was more the the wind and the sleet and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Was this your first ultra marathon that you covered? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, no, I, I uh, really haven't. So I've done, you know, all kinds of tri triathlon events all around the world. And uh, back when I worked for Ironman, I guess I probably still have been to more Ironman races than probably anyone else on the planet. Like I would, I would cover anywhere from 15 to 20 Ironman races a year. Uh, for from 1990, whatever, 98 through uh, 2015. So racked up a whole pile of Ironman events, but uh, yeah, not not much uh, in terms of ultra running. So this was, yeah, just an incredible experience for me. Well, what are you doing in June? You should come in and uh, check out Western States in California. That's the big 100 miler of North America. And there's going to be a huge Canadian contingent. We've been talking to yeah. A lot of the Canadians that are going to be down there this year, including this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yeah. that is awesome. Yeah. Yes, I, I fear June is going to be is uh, ramping up. Uh, I've got a fair amount of travel coming up uh, this summer, but yes, definitely want to get uh, get out to uh, check out more of these, and then the UTMB events as well. It'd be really fun to to sort of case out some of those down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. What do you like about announcing? What What is the draw for you? Just being around the sport, I assume, and seeing competitors rise up through the ranks. If you like what you're hearing so far, then check this out. Our second new event for 2022 is the Fiddle 50. Does running around in circles sound like fun to you? No vert, no problem. Well, then Gotta Run Racing has the perfect race for you. Coming to Shelburne, Ontario this June is the Fiddle 50, featuring distances starting at 25K all the way to 100 miles and almost everything in between. It's flat, fast, and fun all rolled into one. And as the name implies, you may even hear a fiddle or two. And they may or may not be on a roof. Registration's now open. For more info, go to gotterunracing.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, just being able to be part of that experience for people, especially in Ironman. Well, until, yeah, I wrote my, uh, just finished a feature for the uh, May issue of the magazine uh, for the Marathon de Sablo, you know, when when an Ironman isn't enough. And, and uh, <laughs> we're sort of wondering uh, if, if we're going to start getting or get some flack from the triathletes around that. But, you know, I always t tell people, and especially with the Ironman World Championship in Hawaii, you know, you find out more about yourself on that day in Kona than you do in just about the rest of your life. And being able to share that that experience with people is really pretty amazing. And to be able to hopefully make it that much more special and be able to celebrate it. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I just I just have fun with it all, right? And I always I always say, um, if I'm not having fun, then there's something wrong, and, and it means that you know everyone else isn't going to be getting the experience that they need. Um, yeah, so it's you know that that's always been the draw. I'm curious, actually, because we we followed triathlon for a number of years when we had our running store in Orangeville, but we kind of fallen off the getting to know who's performing right now. But um, what caught our eye a couple weeks ago, of course, was Jackson Laundry and. Lionel Sanders' performance at Oceanside. What do you think about the Canadian prospects right now in, in Ironman, in triathlon? Yeah, this year is going to be very interesting. Because of all of the COVID craziness, uh, there hasn't been an Ironman World Championship since 2019. So Ironman had originally uh, rescheduled the last October's race, the 2021 championship, to February. And then... Uh, just because they were worried about what Hawaii might do in terms of canceling stuff. Excuse me, they really wanted to put on a race um, and basically catch up. They've just got so many entries that they've got, you know, they've got so many people who have qualified. They've got to get them out of the way so they can get back on track. And so they decided to put the Ironman World Championship in a new venue, uh, St. George, Utah. They knew, like, no matter what, it's, you know, Utah... And St. George, no matter what happens with COVID, they will put on a race down there. And Ironman knew that. Uh, the Ironman World Championships happening there in May, early May. And uh, it's a course and a venue that Lionel Sanders has done very well at many, many times. For me, when I sit there and look at it, this is Lionel's best shot at winning a, a, an Ironman World title. You know, he came second in 2018 in Hawaii it was an amazing race for him but he's you know more often than not really struggled in the humidity and the heat there um, so St. George is going to be just an excellent opportunity for him unfortunately he's up against nutty nutty field you've got you know, Christian Blumenfeld and and Gustav Eden uh, from Norway you know Christian obviously the Olympic gold medalist uh, Gustav, the uh, reigning 70.3 world champion, two times. You know, he won in 2019 and then last year. And the, you know, these guys are the real deal. They are just frightening how fast they are. Um, there's a lot of rumors right now. We can't figure out it, if um, Jan Frodeno 
will be in St. George or not. I just you know wrote a story last night, one, uh, basically wondering that. So Lionel, to me, uh, has a has a good shot. Um, <laughs> Torsten Roddy, I uh, from. Uh, uh, from Germany, who does tryrating.com, doesn't, I don't think, agrees with me at all. I just wrote a story for him as well, and he sort of just sent sniggers back. But, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Jackson Laundry, you know, performance of his life in Oceanside a little while back, but he's focused on the 70.3 stuff. So he's going to, you know, be focused on uh, professional triathletes organization events and, and gearing up. He was fifth at the 70.3 Worlds last year, and so you know he'll be he'll be trying to um, you know have a big race at uh, St George later on this year, uh, but yeah Lionel yeah here's hoping we'll cross our fingers that uh, that he can have a have a good day. Jason Pohl is another Canadian, but sort of a you know up and coming, and uh, you know I, I don't know that he's you know really got the chops to compete. But if he can be you know top ten, top fifteen, that would be an amazing performance for him. But uh, Lionel will be gunning for the win. No two ways around it. Yeah, well, we'll be watching for Absolutely. sure. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, let's talk about your coaching. How uh, are you still taking clients? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, yeah. I sort of, um, you know, I, I usually keep things to between ten and and fifteen athletes. Uh, that seems to kind of work well for all of the other stuff that I that I have going, and uh, you know we have a just a great training group here in Hamilton. Um, you know it's typically pretty small, and anywhere from four to eight folks who uh, who who come on out to that. So yeah, it's gone back and forth over the years. I've had as many as forty athletes at at different times. Uh, you know, at one point I was coaching a kids triathlon club, and we had a huge group. I think it was sixty or sixty five kids, and all that kind of stuff. It's gone back and forth, but you know, most of the folks that I I work with, or not most, uh, some of the folks that I work with are is just online, and I connect with them uh, on the phone, or uh, you know that that kind of thing. And then a small group that I that I meet up with, and it's uh, it's been good. One of the athletes I coach is my wife, who just won uh, seventy point three Lanzarotes and qualified wow. for St. George Worlds, and is gearing up for uh, Ironman Lanzarote next month. So wow. um, that's uh, certainly keeping me busy right now as well. <laughs> Congratulations to her. <laughs> Where can people find you, Kevin? We want to give you a plug. Oh, so uh, macattack.ca. Yep, or M-A-C-K-A-T-A-K.ca is my website. Um, you can also... Uh, yeah, just read the stories that I do. Triathlon Magazine Canada, so triathlonmagazine.ca. Yeah, lots of stories on the website. And then, of course, I'm also the editor of the magazine, so do lots of writing in there. Well, cool. we'll, we'll link the stories for Marathon to Sob to the, the podcast and the YouTube for sure. Yep. Yeah, but sure. before we let you go, if you don't mind, we always end our podcast with a little bit of rapid fire just to get to know you. A little bit better before we leave you. <laughs> uh oh, that sounds scary. <laughs> Take another drink it's, before we start. It's fun, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> 70s or 80s music? Both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you play tennis or did you just coach tennis? Uh, so I played, uh, yes, I played tennis. I was a uh, runner-up at the Vermont State Championships uh, a couple of times. And actually, when I went to university, I couldn't decide if I was going to play tennis or run and ended up running and uh, being part of, I guess, three national championship cross-country teams. So uh, put the tennis rackets away, but I paid my way or helped pay my way through school by uh, coaching tennis in the summers. So Federer or Nadal? Federer. <laughs> I hope he comes to Wimbledon. I, I have to admit, I kind of miss but him. Not, not that I'm not a Nadal fan, but Federer is just, yeah, it is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Love the way he plays and uh, what he's done for tennis and everything. Absolutely. Now, obviously, you've traveled around the world with your business, but where's your favorite place to vacate to? <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you talk to my kids, uh, we've never had a vacation. Whenever we go somewhere, we're, uh, uh, there, you know, I'm always working at it and everything. But yeah, my favorite spot on the planet is Lanzarote. 
my wife and I, my, my birthday is May 18th, our anniversary is May 15th, and we're almost always in Lanzarote for that. That's not too, not too hard to take. No. <laughs> Butter tarts with or without raisins? Ooh, uh, without. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and finally, if you could travel back in time, what period would you go to and why? Oh, um, boy, that's, a, that's, that is a tough one. Um, I don't know why, boy, that's a really hard one for me to answer. Um, how about for the very first Ironman, those guys who just decided to put it together? Yeah. So I, I, I was wrestling with that. So I wrestle with whether or not I'd want to sort of go back, but I was actually, I'm that old, right? Um, I would, I would have been 15. So, um, 15 at the time of the first Ironman. I also think about, and I, again, was alive through all of this, but you know, obviously don't really remember it. But the 60s, just so many changes in uh, in a lot of in a lot of sports, um, you know, kind of the open era beginning in tennis, early 70s with track and field, you know, Steve Prefontaine yes. changing the mix and, and you know, all of a all of a sudden, you know, just the changes, uh, really interesting sort of times on that front. Yeah, wow. that's interesting. That's a good answer. Sure. I like it. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time yeah. today. We really appreciate it. It's neat getting a behind the scenes look at one of these crazy events. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, very nice to chat with you guys. And hopefully we'll see you in person one day at one of the Ironmans. Cause I know this guy wants to go back and redeem <laughs> himself. <laughs> Sounds good. I like that idea. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Cheers. Right. Well, what do you think? Do you think he's going back for the full race edition at some point? Oh yeah. He's got to get his, uh, the full experience. Well, it's just like the runners. You do the race for the first time and you want to go back to improve because with a race <laughs> like that, there's so many ways that you can improve your your experience, your time, your what you pack to eat. Well, perhaps he'll go back to cover the whole race and then the following year, he'll go back and run the race. <laughs> different perspective. There you go. <laughs> what better way to write about it when you actually run it? Yeah. I think that's probably why so many journalists do that. Yeah, he definitely has an interesting career, and I'm sure you must have read one of his articles by picking up oh, 100%. all the magazines. You just don't realize that, oh, that's, that, was that, Kevin. Was, that was Kevin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. If you'd like to check out the condensed version of our chat with Kevin and Caroline, then check out our YouTube channel, Gotta Run Racing. Cheers. Ooh, that was quite the marathon. Thanks for listening to the Gotta Run Racing Podcast with your hosts, Norman and Jody. Please visit us at gotarunracing.com for more information on our events or simply drop us an email at gotarunracing at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel to stream the video version of this episode. Oh, and if you like my voice, check me out at tylerherchuk.ca. T-Y-L-E-R-H-Y-R-C-H-U-K. Gotta run!